Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Ugh. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Let's just we, start with an apology. Man, we have been bad. It's been so busy, and we're... It's been almost a whole four weeks. Eight, three was our last one. Oh, my God. Oh, so well, we'll we're, we're going to pound out a few and... Yeah, we're going to get a few done, and so it should be pretty regular now. It's uh, And it's good fun because we're starting with kind of a review of a little talk that was given by Wilson Compton. I, In case those of you who don't know who Dr. Wilson Compton is, he is... He's like the number two here, the deputy director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, a.k.a. NIDA, which yeah. is a branch of NIH, the National Institute of Health. We'd reached out to him like a year ago, and he did a, an echo for us, and he was really gracious and came back. It was great. He's so engaging, and he really loved At that point, we did George Washington University behind us on our green screen. I'm pointing behind me like people can see that. But that's where he went to school, and so that was kind of our... I thought it was St. Louis. Oh, you're right. Oh, I am right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're way off. I'm way off. Half yeah, the country to, off. St. Louis. To, yeah, he trained in St. Louis. Anyway, so we had reached out because, as we all know, the meth and amphetamine epidemic is actually probably more rampant. Not probably. The numbers are higher as far as who's all using it. The problem is it doesn't, not the problem, the good news is it doesn't cause as many fatalities as the opioid epidemic, and unfortunately there's no direct MAT for it, and so we just sometimes, I think, people try to ignore it because there's no good answers. And there's a, there's a few things that are being studied, we're going to talk about those. That's, yeah. So he kind of started out just talking about psychostimulant drugs, and you know, there's a, a pretty good group of those, and we talk about them all the time. I love that modafinil is on here. I do too. And I actually had uh, had someone who was wondering if modafinil was a medication that could be used. For... We, we do have that in the hopper to present on. I'm trying to look. I don't think we've done that one yet. Oh, yeah, we did. No, we on did. April the 20th, it was the, the podcast release number uh, 56. Yeah. Perfect. And there are some people who think that, uh, you know, this could be used for Kind of like an MAT, but in fact, the studies have not supported that. I mean, that's the whole same idea that, you know, Adderall and all those were to be mm, used. Studies don't support that either. It, you so, know, yeah. though, it, it's mostly related in a way that the, the studies and the research are mostly done with cocaine. And I think that's because cocaine can be used medicinally. Um, we talked about that a few weeks last, well, a month ago. It was yeah. the last podcast. And so a so, lot of the studies are with that. So a lot of psychostimulant drugs, the MDM, MDMAs. You know, the different amphetamines, the Adderalls, all those things. So, and of course, structurally, a lot of these things are pretty similar. So, but, but it's interesting that when you compare meth and cocaine and kind of their pharmacokinetics, like in the brains, it's kind of different. I love these images. These, what are they? Everybody look at the images. Everybody look at the images. The color coded, what are these called? The functional MRIs where the heat ones, where they show... Anyway, the changes in the brain, meth does clear from the brain over time, but much more slowly than cocaine, which clears rapidly, which is why cocaine can be addictive, just not as 
There's lunch? N- it's not. Oh, it's not nearly as prevalent. No, it's more the binge weekend thing. And of course, cocaine acts differently because it blocks kind of that dopamine reuptake, whereas meth kind of blocks the dopamine reuptake and releases it from the vesicle. So it's different. It's like twofold. It's a double. It's a double. So, of course, the, the if you look at the brain dopamine system, dopamine transporters mainly in the stratum, um, the receptors in the stratum, and the metabolism kind of literally everywhere else, the, the white matter, gray matter areas. Mm. Look at me pretend to remember what all this means. Yeah, I, I'm forgetting it. But, of course, when you use meth over a long period of time, one of the things that happens is you get this big reduction in dopamine transporters. And that's kind of one of the things that uh, causes trouble long term. It's why, you know, if you've had patients with meth use disorder, they just don't get that same level of excitement and happiness, of course, because of the that rush and the down the dopamine receptors are downregulated, like Kurt just mentioned. So it's never the same. It's never the same. And in fact, one of the other things that happens in methamphetamine users is that their metabolism decreases as well. So lots of things change. So there's lots of different concerns with methamphetamine uh, long-term. Yes, in the caudate and the thalamus. Those are words I've tried to forget. So what else does methamphetamine do? This is the concerns, and this is why we don't love people using it. It's neurotoxic, and it's damaging to multiple organs in the body, so not just the brain. Um, And then, of course, when you're using methamphetamines, associated with a lot of other um, high-risk behaviors and, you know, impulsive behaviors. People get more impulsive. Um, This is the population where a lot more research has been done on even very heterosexual men will end up having men having sex with men when they're on methamphetamine. So um, the risk of HIV, hepatitis C, and then, I mean, anybody in the population using meth, these, these definitely increase. Yeah. And, of course, in the old days... That was like eight or nine years ago. Uh, you know, people were manufacturing this in, you know, big two-liter bottles in their car in these small clandestine labs. But really, I don't think it's as big a thing now. It's all coming in coming in from down south, and it's fairly pure, and it's big lab. I love it. Pure meth. It's pure. Um, yeah, I had a patient um, not that long ago tell me all the ingredients and very... This is a patient who didn't graduate high school, got his GED when he was 30. So good for him, but it's amazing, the chemistry. But it is, of course, highly addictive, toxic, and hard to treat as kind of the duh goes on. Yeah, as we've said, there's not really any medications that have been shown to be helpful. You know, I just thought of something. Uh Oh, I was sick last week, too, and had no voice. So that should be our excuse why we didn't do it last week. Oh, my gosh, you guys, he had COVID testing like a thousand times. They were all negative, but... He sounded like a teenage boy going through puberty. It was ugly. Anyway, we kind of mentioned the the damage into multiple organs in the body. So, I mean, it affects the brain, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, the bladder, the pancreas, the spleen, and the stomach. So, you know, important things. Yeah, you need all those things. Well, not all of them. But, uh, you know, interestingly, when you look at some of the acute effects, I think we're all very aware of these things. Kind of, You know, I think mostly the patients that I see that continue to use or intermittently use, it's still that alertness. You know, it's trying to be awake for work. It's there. If in a way, I had one patient said, it's my coffee, um, which uh, I don't buy that. But as um, I'm sitting here yeah, drinking, drinking coffee, coffee and you have a caffeinated water. Uh, but of course, it's also associated with some aggression and violence. And interestingly, the psychosis issue, which we see a lot in, in our job now. It's crazy 
the psychosis that can come from this. And it actually, the nice thing about the psychosis I digress is it, it doesn't last very long Usually. most of the time. So you can kind of just support them. You don't even always have to go super detailed. But anyway, suicidality, suicidality homicidality um, with people who do binge use. Um, and then, of course, the same things kind of like cocaine, hypertension, cardiac complications, strokes, and then with the stimulant in the brain, the seizures. Yeah. I think the chronic effects, the thing that we see probably the most is still this persistent, long-lasting depression, which is really rough to treat. Can and I just, again, digress? <laughs> no. It's early. I, my brain is still functioning. I just love that Dr. Wilson Compton used the same analogies. You have a good meal mm. or sex or he used the same analogies that I do all the time in the same verbiage that made me kind of feel special. Uh, well, I didn't pick up on that. So <clears throat> when we look at uh, past year methamphetamine use, you know, really from 2016 to 19, I think it's interesting, you know, in ages really what, 12 and older? 12 and older. <laughs> I mean, it's just gone up and up. Um, and it's getting older actually yeah you know the peak in 2017 was really that 18 to 25 year old group but now the 26 year olds and older are actually the highest um uh, you over know time and i've seen so many people in their 50s and, and 60s still using methamphetamine lately so it, it it is shifting i mean and you can look at the other behaviors which we're not really going to go into but how basically people who use methamphetamine, about 51.8% do have officially methamphetamine use disorder. Only about 34% have received any type of treatment. Um, and 23% of them use IV. I mean, that's that's a quarter of people. Yeah, and you know, normally I don't think we've we've really thought about that a ton. I mean, it probably more the opioid stuff, right. so the fentanyl, so we think about IV. And then when you combine it with other substances, 68% of people who use methamphetamines are also using cannabis. A lot, half of them smoke or use binge drinking. Um, a quarter of them are using a lot of uh, opioids to, a, to almost half. Yeah. And, so. you know, so many of these things are mixed now. Uh, we see so many people who get urine coming into corrections who didn't think they were taking fentanyl, mm -hmm. but it was in their meth. So... And then when we can talk about a little bit about lifetime prevalence and mean number of other substances. Oh, you did that. I did that. It's just, this is a very interesting color-coded picture, but it's complicated. So I'm just, yeah, obviously there's... I'm going to throw that away. I think what this is trying to show is that if people are using meth, they're often using other substances, not always the other way around. Correct. So how about primary heroin treatment admissions reporting methamphetamine use? That continues to climb. In 2008, 1 in 50 opioid admissions for, for treatment also had meth. In 2017, so just nine years later, 1 in 12. And this is, I mean, four years ago. So, you know, NIDA is still compiling all this data. So who knows what it's going to show over think, the next couple of years. I think anecdotally, I bet it's like 1 in 8. I mean, it just oh, seems like least, it's so yeah. it's so common now. So, and really, it's this more why use both, right? And and I think about my my one patient that I see most frequently still who hasn't used you know any opioids for a while, but continues to use meth. But the reason he used them both was very much uh, what they talk about in here. It balances the effects. The roller coaster. For, yeah, when he was using. 
and he was using only heroin, he had to use the methamphetamine to keep himself awake at work. So it was that it was trying to level it off. The problem was he quit using opioids on MAT and then didn't get rid of the meth. Right. So, but that and was it's interesting thing. because you wonder, it's kind of the chicken and the egg phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know, the addiction to the opioids and how that affects the mu receptors and then the dopamine receptors and yeah, yeah escape I, from reality. But I really think most of the patients I see, it's balancing the effects. They, exactly. They see that as they feel good. They don't have pain, but they can stay awake. And this is where kind of our soapbox thing we always say is diagnosing mental illness is very challenging. You can't do it when they're using substances for at least a good month because I can't even tell you how many bipolar diagnoses I have removed from charts because, I mean, if you think about the opioid down, the meth high, it looks like bipolar. But yet people want to do it all the time. All the time. They come right in. There's like, oh, yeah, they're, it's, it's a psychosis related to schizophrenia. No. Right. Okay, so when they did a study in Oregon and people who were in treatment, they they kind of looked at why people are using methamphetamines. And one of the things, and this is from September of 2019, was meth was perceived safer than heroin. Yeah, and I think it's, it's funny because, um, you know, people still die from methamphetamine. And obviously, I think they know that it's less because really all the opioid, opioid deaths we've had lately, it's uh, really skyrocketing. But... It's also very cheap. Much cheaper. And I think that that's uh, really pushed it. People people can get this, and it can be fairly inexpensive. And uh, again, that perception that it's safer. Yes, and when you look at treatment of people who use co-occurring, um, sadly, so people who were given buprenorphine treatment um, for opioid use disorder, if they co-used meth, they had significantly shorter treatment duration, so they were much less likely to, or much more likely to leave treatment early, and they were more likely to discontinue their MAT within three months or immediately if they were also using meth and then having difficulty with follow-up. So things that we see, but really does play out in the data as well. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's just funny because when I think back even six, five, six, seven years ago, we would see people using heroin and the only time they would use meth was when they were in withdrawal. Mm-hmm. We saw that all the time, that methamphetamine, marijuana, and maybe sometimes things like uh, Zofran or different things they'd get on the street to mm-hmm. kind of help their withdrawal. And now it's just mixing. There's a lot more mixing. And, you know, this is the chart that is shown pretty much in everywhere, but it really shows that overdose deaths kind of driver basically starting with the first wave of the opioid epidemic, you know, the pills, the prescriptions, which then evolved into the heroin, which kind of skyrocketed starting in 2010, and then your synthetics, so your methadone, your fentanyl, primarily fentanyl, skyrocketing in 2014. But about that same paralleling with the heroin and the fentanyls was the stimulants, and now stimulants and the fentanyls are the top. And heroin's actually had a little bit of a decrease. Yeah. But if you look at the U.S. overdose deaths involving methamphetamine, it continues a to climb. Colorful map. Yeah, and actually, it's interesting because it's not the northern states; it's more that Appalachia area, and then uh, you know, real rural. I think probably rural areas, you know, the Arizona, New Mexico area, and and Nevada, mm-hmm. which have the highest rates. And actually, I, I think it's interesting that Alaska is also on that list. Yes. Well, and if you look at, and we're not going to go into race a ton, but we do have a chart here from NIDA, so I'm reading their data. Um, 
the American Indian Alaska natives um, are still the highest um, overdose deaths involving stimulants. So I love Alaska, by the way. Oh my gosh, it was beautiful. Everyone should visit Alaska. It's the, it's the weirdest place, though, because when a moose comes across the road, all the locals just look down at their phone. And all of us tourists just, you know, get out of our car. I wonder if they do the same thing like when they're in Minnesota and they see geese and ducks. They think that's cool. I think they have geese and ducks. But not like we do. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway, so the next one kind of discusses cocaine and psychosimulant overdose deaths and where do people live that are having um, these deaths. So if you look at large central metro areas, so we're talking the cities, we're talking suburbs, it's primarily cocaine, but the... The further out you get and the more rural you get, it's the math. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of this is rocket science. Yeah. You're in the country. You just I almost it. just started singing a country song, but nobody wants to hear me sing. Yeah, I'd be on the top of that list. So, of course, there's the intersection between the drug crisis and COVID-19. I think we're all very aware of that. We've had... A horrible number of overdose deaths in it's our like over rural 80, area. It's like over 80,000 deaths in our country last it's year. It's just brutal. We were making a downtrend. So, yeah, it's been bad here and I think bad everywhere. And I think everybody's got lots of ideas why. Uh, but uh, the reality is it just, it is. Yeah, the only one that went negative percent change from January of 2020 to January of 2021 was heroin. But, of course, if you're looking at your... Synthetics like fentanyl, that went up 56%. Meth went up 49%. I'm not going to go through all these, but those were the big ones. Isn't that crazy? So can we? one of the things he then kind of turned on after kind of this gentle review was Prevention. how can we prevent this, right? How, what can we do? I mean, I think that's where night is at. How, what can we do now to get ahead of this? So we need to reduce the risk factors, Um Early aggressive behavior, polar social skills, lack of personal supervision or parental supervision, excuse me, all over substance abuse around them, living um, environment, poverty. So all the, the social determinants of health, basically. Yeah, and he really talked a lot about, you know, getting getting to kids early uh, and building really early. Yeah. And just kind of building those, uh, their resiliency and, uh, you know, working on their family lives and Positive relationship. I mean, let's face it, it's the whole A score thing, you know, all these things that happen to kids that then make them much higher risk. Plus, then when we look at the younger kids who are having mental health issues right away, so how can we get ahead of this? And he talked a lot about some of the different programs that they're really looking at. Yeah, I really like this one called Prosper, promoting school, community, university partnerships to enhance resilience, like you'd mentioned, the whole resiliency thing. Yeah, so I think... I think that in a perfect world, uh, that would be where we'd go. Where's the money for all of that? And it really should be funded. Uh, And that's what the hard thing is, is how do you fund prevention? But if you look at a mice model, a mouse model, excuse me, a mouse that had the choice to hang out with another mouse versus use meth chose the interaction with another being more than the drugs. You know, the one part of that study they didn't do is they should have had multiple mice that he could choose to hang out with and see if maybe there was one he didn't want to hang out with. Like a personality kind of thing. Yeah, because if humans would be like, oh, you can hang around with, you know, this dude. Well, I don't want to, you know. That is interesting. Yeah, because maybe it's who you get to hang out with. Or if you put three mice and then now there's a third wheel, especially if there's three women mice. Yeah. It's like who are you going (laughs) to, 
Because it's like, I, I really don't like that one. I don't like that mouse. Well, and a group of three is never good. Okay. I'm jumping way ahead because we should probably Keep speed. Moving. So okay. the one thing is we always hear from patients and always wonder ourselves is, can you, does the brain heal over time? Whether this is opioids or meth. Now opioids, we've kind of shown that over time it can get better. We don't know if it gets 100% better. We don't know the, the timeline, but... There is partial recovery of brain metabolism in meth use after protracted so long-term abstinence, and they did show one of those heat brain MRI thingies again, and it showed by 13 months off of meth, we there is significant improvement in this image. So they're not saying 13 months is the the golden egg, but well, and there's I think there's a lot of unknowns. Is every person the same? Well, probably not. You know what things make it? What things make you are particular situation better um is it social support that would make you heal um, age quicker? of first use age length of, of use i mean there's there's so many variables but we know that the brain can can come back all right well let's go through how we treat it oh guess what there isn't any there's no there's no there's fda no. approved medications yeah and of course and, and it's funny because I, I did a little teaching thing which you did this week as well and uh charlie our friend addiction friend said he talked a little bit about methamphetamine with some of the students. He was talking about how still the only thing that's ever been shown to really make much difference in methamphetamine use long-term is contingency, positive contingency plans and programs. So basically... Maybe he, we should do a whole talk on contingency. We should because nobody... Should. The problem is nobody funds it. So it's not like we can take a patient on and go to the state and say, yeah, we're going to give them uh, rewards and uh, you're paying for them. Uh, that doesn't happen. So although in studies it's been shown to work, it's not something commonly used. Correct. Okay. So when you look at treatments, it, it, again, all behavioral, the cognitive behavioral therapy, contingency management, 12-step facilitation, the matrix model. But there are a few studies looking at different medications. One is the combination treatment, bupropion, naltrexone. The dosing of these is not the same as like Contrae, which is the weight loss pill that contains these nope. same two meds. We're yeah. not going to go into the dosing because we're not telling people to do this. It's still completely in study mode. Yeah, and this was the first study, and it, it's not overwhelmingly positive, uh, but there were certainly responses, and this is being looked at more carefully. This came out of the New England Journal, Just I think year. in January, yeah. I think it was, but I think that kind of everybody kind of looked at that and went, whoa. And of um, course, but with bupropion, we also worry about abuse and misuse. Yeah, that is a podcast. So I'll go back and listen. That's one of our biggest most popular. That's one. one of our most popular podcasts. Is the is the one on bupropion and how people misuse it. But do know that as of July twenty second of twenty twenty one, there is a humongous list of studies that are currently going on from NIDA to treat. <laughs> stimulant abuse. Mm. I mean, things from antibodies to vaccines to gene therapies to medications to a lot of letters and numbers I don't understand because they don't have names yet. Well, and there's been, you know, I've certainly read some things about uh, topiramate, oh, yeah. uh, which it isn't on here. We asked him about that. Orlamictal. And, uh, orlamictal. Sorry, um, lamotrigine. But uh, duloxetine and methylphenidate. But, you know, there has been um, some stimulant studies. I believe they were done in Australia. Australia, I could be wrong, but uh, it didn't really show a big effect. I think initially, in, until they reworked the numbers, they thought that it made a difference. But again, nothing has worked well. A lot of these medications that are listed, uh, interestingly, one that's on there is actually Actos, which I, I kind of laughed. I wish I could remember. 
Yeah. <laughs> that one was okay. <laughs> there might be people trying to mess around with that. I'm not going to go there. But anyway, Correct. so we don't use that. Okay, so the super fun, transcranial magnetic stimulation for methamphetamine use disorder. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm wearing a, a sweatband that's got magnets in it on my head trying to fix you know, all my problems. Oh, gosh. I, I love people who come in with those on. Yeah, ever since I started wearing this magnet. The copper things. But, you know, this is actually a thing, this magnetic medicine, this hot and cold circuits, and this is so far beyond me. This reminds me when they used to do the, what are they called? Um, You know, when they used to cut the lobectomy, not lobectomy, what was that called? I have no idea. (laughs) Lobectomy, but No, but they didn't like, remember when they did the thing to treat the schizophrenia or whatever? Yeah, well, that's, it would calm people down. You're thinking of... uh, uh, yeah, the movie with uh, Jack Nicholson. Sure. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, anyway <laughs> so back to transcranial magnetic stimulation. Think about it too. This has been used for depression, um, and is being used that way now. And it's so not, has that got something to do with it? And this is not ECT. No, this is magnets. So yeah, wrap a magnet around your head. No, Have don't. It. Okay, don't, don't do it. And then they're looking at um, antibody treatment. So antibodies that will bind the methamphetamines because antibodies are too big to cross the blood-brain barrier, so it captures the meth in the bloodstream, therefore can't get to the brain. They're looking at this. Yeah, good luck. So what's our summary, Dr. Bell? I use the word doctor very loosely. Dr. Heather, please. It's highly addictive with a lot of negative health effects, and there's really no great treatments. Yeah. But they're researching. Yeah, and I think, again, people have used lots of different things. We just got to wait for the studies to come out. So, again, we really appreciated Wilson, Dr. Wilson Compton coming on. Mm-hmm. He was fabulous, and we will have him back again, no doubt about for it. For sure. He actually agreed already. So I think next week we're going to be doing something on body packing. Exactly. That's my favorite talk <laughs> that I've given in a long time. It, you know, it was fun, and it was probably one of my favorite talks to watch you give in a long time. It yeah. was just... It was a fun one. It was. All right. Well, then next week we'll do that. Thanks for listening. All right. Battle legs. You say you've got no money, but I would like to share. Time's tough, but you can make it through. I was once a broken man, but saved by grace of God. And now I think I'll give it back to you. Money's gone.